I've been doing a series that I've titled A Foundation of Stone, and the premise of this is that we're, we're not going to break up our foundation that we're built on. We're not going to change our slab. Uh, our illustration when we began this was simple. A lot of people remodel their homes, and they'll move, they'll move doors and walls and rooms and what have you, but I've never known of anybody that remodeled their slab. But a lot of churches do that. They'll remodel the foundation they were built on and conclude that they don't need as much now as was required then uh, when it comes to building a church. We don't want to do that here at Grace. We want to stay firmly built on the Word of God. And everybody said amen. So that's a premise of this Bible study. Two or three Wednesday nights ago, I began a Bible study on stewardship. And uh, I do appreciate our uh, student ministries being in with us tonight. I appreciate that very much. But I've started this Bible study, and I invited them to come and join us for this Bible study on stewardship. It is a part of our foundation. And a lot of times when you mention stewardship, people automatically think about money. And money is a part of it, but it's not all of it. So I'm going to do a quick review of that Bible study. I interrupted it to teach on worship last Wednesday night. And uh, so we're back to uh, the stewardship Bible study. I'd like to teach a part of it tonight, and hopefully I'll wrap this lesson up next Wednesday night, Lord willing. The word steward comes from a Greek word which means an employee that manages a household. It's an agent or a treasurer. Uh, so when the Bible refers to us as stewards, it's talking about the fact that God owns everything. God owns everything, yet he gives each of us certain things in life to manage for him or for his glory. So how we do that task determines how pleased he will be with us when we give to him an account of our lives. So everything that makes up our life was given to us by God, and God looks at us as a steward to properly and appropriately manage the affairs of our life and as well our lifestyle. So uh, we introduced that uh, several Wednesday nights ago, uh, talking about stewardship. I chose to teach on five areas of stewardship, and we've gone through three. We'll do one tonight and one next Wednesday night. But there's five important areas of our lives where we must be a good steward if we are to please God. Period. So as a steward, I've been given these areas to manage. That means that God owns everything in each of these areas, but he allows me to make the decisions as to what I get and what God gets. And so uh, two of the, uh, that we taught on several Wednesday nights ago, uh, we, we spent a little time on talent, and uh, we talked about that. And then we talked about our temple. Uh, we also talked about our testimony, and then we talked about our temple. I want to review that for just a few moments tonight, and then we'll jump into our planned Bible study for tonight. The Bible said, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. God gave you your body, 
And you are to manage all of the faculties of your physical being, your attitude, your mentality, your attitude, and so on, as a good steward unto the Lord. This is why forgiveness is so important. It's why it's so vitally important, because it, 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 something that gets in your mind, it burrs into your heart, and you end up toting a grudge. This is just one little thing, not a little thing, but it's just one thing that lives on the inside of us. It becomes a part of who we are, and God's not pleased with it. That's why there's such strong emphasis placed on forgiveness. But our direction several Wednesday nights ago was modesty. I'm very thankful to present to you. I've, I've gotten incredible feedback uh, from that Bible study on modesty. Even from some of our students, they really didn't look at modesty under the category of stewardship. That is, God has made you who you are. And he has given you your body. The Bible said, know you not that you are, that your body's a temple. That we should present ourselves, both inwardly through attitude and spirit, and outwardly through physical appearance, as pleasing to God. Not following social trends, but doing what is pleasing to God, whether we agree with it or not, whether we appreciate it or not, whether we condone it or not, we still do it. There's two premises based that our walk with God are based on. One is faith, the other is obedience. <clears throat> Discipleship is not based on faith, it's based on obedience. And if we're going to be pleasing to God, we have to live our lives in alignment with the Word of God. And everybody said, Amen. You're, you're going to be judged by the book. Now you can take this any way you want to, that's between you and God. But you will be judged according to the Scripture. And if you're not in alignment with it, then God is not going to be happy. Well, there were six marks of biblical modesty that I taught that night. And I just want to hit the highlights of it uh, for a few moments tonight. Of course, there's modern modesty controversies. Uh, people int interpret modest modesty differently. Um, or they don't believe in it at all. Uh, I have a right to do what I want to do, appear the way I want to appear. So there's a lot of, and I'm not going to go through this whole thing tonight, uh, but there were some very sobering points uh, that I mentioned that night, and if you were not here, I'd recommend that you go back to our website or our church app and listen to it. But Paul said, I desire that women should adorn themselves. So God is not a fan of you walking around feeling ugly, feeling less than appropriate. God's not a fan of that. The Bible said that women should adorn themselves, and the Scripture takes the path of, of the female here. Uh, there's a different instruction given to men, but the modesty issue here is mostly applicable to our lady folks. So Christian women should concern themselves with modesty because the Bible does. And number one, first and foremost, and I want all of our ladies here tonight to listen. Modesty is not anti-pretty. It's not. I'm not going to teach this a whole, the whole thing again, but even though I want to. But women should adorn themselves. And it grieves me when I go to our neighborhood-friendly Walmart and you run into these Pentecostal women who didn't bother to adorn themselves with the way they're dressed. It's, 
I'm not going to describe it. Never mind. Let me just keep going. The Bible is not being anti-pretty. I believe God's people should be the most beautiful people walking around on the planet. And everybody say amen. Amen. Modesty is not anti-pretty. Modesty, number two, is about who you worship. Women are commanded to adorn themselves in a way that is fitting for worship. Uh, That when you worship God, you should certainly be modest. You should live your life. Now, worship is not what you do on Sunday. It's a lifestyle you live unto the Lord. And uh, so you should be should present yourself at all times in a way that you could worship God. Number three, modesty is about behavior and attitude, not just clothing. Uh, Number four, modesty shows that people have a sensitivity to sin, not only in their own life, but in the lives of the people around them, that you don't want to provoke somebody to sin by looking at you inappropriately. Number five, modesty involves cultural discretion. You can't, you, you can't always conform to culture because culture does not always conform to the Word of God. And uh, sometimes you just have to step outside of culture and um, do what is pleasing to God. And then number six, modesty is about freedom, not repression. That you have a way, biblically, to express yourself and to be happy about it and feel comfortable with it. Wish I had time to teach all of this again tonight. I really do. Maybe in the near future we can. But uh, modesty is an important responsibility of ours under the category of stewardship. Stewardship. God gave you who you are. He made you who you are. And you have a responsibility to God to take care of that. Tonight I want to talk about treasure. In the last couple of Wednesday nights we went a good while past 8.30, like a couple hours and I'm going to try to shorten that to at least an hour tonight. And uh, so, actually, um, I'm dividing this up into lessons, so I won't keep you very long. But tonight I want to talk to you about stewardship, and then our fourth uh, thing about stewardship is treasure. The Bible said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things shall be added unto you. The subject of stewardship and giving is always a bit awkward because of the false perceptions that some people have about churches and money. In Revelation chapter 5, when we read of a book in heaven that no man can open, a lot of people have come to believe that that's the pocketbook. I'm saying that in jest. That's not really the case. But you would think sometimes that it it would certainly apply. Uh, We all know that churches need funds to operate. And and I'm not here tonight to talk about money. I'm talking about our responsibility and stewardship. And uh, that's my focal point. And I applaud Grace Church for your very kind, generous, and liberal giving. Thank you so very much for that. We have a few that that don't choose to participate, and that's to your own, well, you just cut yourself off from a blessing. You really do. But anyway, churches need funds to operate, but the difference in fundraising and stewardship is the difference between following the letter and the spirit of the law. 
The goal of a fundraiser is to collect money for activities. But the goal of a steward is to worship God through giving. Now, I met with our, our journey group. Uh, our, it would be our college-age uh, young folks several weeks ago. And uh, there, was, there was a perception and a mindset they had concerning fundraising and giving about a couple of different fundraisers here. And they were all on board with the one that they'd benefit out of, but they were not really on the board with the one that they wouldn't benefit out of. So we had to talk about it. And uh, so we redirected them. And uh, I've come to learn just in the recent days that they're still really not on board with what we're doing. I've asked them... Uh, what they wanted to do was do fundraisers for the, um, the Youth Congress trip that's coming up, I believe. I don't know when it is, July or August. I just work here. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, whenever it is. And we said, no, we'd rather you raise money for She's for Christ. That's the more uh, priority. That's the greater priority. And uh, so we made an offer to them that if you'll raise so much money, then we'll help you on your trip to Youth Congress. And uh, you won't have to do any fundraisers trying to teach them that if you work for Jesus first, God will bless you. Well, some of them really didn't. It still hadn't gotten that yet. You don't understand it. I'm glad you're in here tonight because I'm going to talk to you about stewardship. Every dime that you get from your job was given to you by God, not your employer. Job learned a lesson, and Job lived around the time of Adam. I know the book of Job is way deep into the... Old Testament, but he actually lived around the time of Adam, and he learned a lesson in life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. So we have to understand that our money, our ability to learn, um, everything we have was given to us by God. And if you seek the kingdom first in everything you do, It's an obligation and a responsibility of a good steward. The steward doesn't tell the one who's given him things that he can work with. He don't tell the steward or or, or that provider, you go take a hike, I'm going to do what I want to do. Everything we've been given, everything that's been placed in our hands. Now look, I know a lot of people ever in a whole entire lifetime never really come in contact with losing. You don't lose your parents, you've never lost a child, you've never lost a job, you've never lost a home, you've never went bankrupt, you've never been on financial hard times. There's people that's born with a proverbial silver spoon in their mouth, and it kind of is hard for them to get their head around this idea. But I want to tell everybody in this building that with the sovereignty of God and the way I know it, anything can happen to any of us tomorrow. Anything can happen. There's a long list of people that something has happened in their life and everything they had was taken away. And I want our young folks especially to understand that the money you get from your employer is not your money. It's God's money and he's just letting you use it. It's his money. I believe that tonight. It's his money and he's letting you use it. And he gives you the ability to decide how much he gets, and how much you get. If you don't want to give him a dime, you don't have to. If you want to give him all of it, you can. You have to decide. But somewhere along the line, you will stand before God and answer, why did you spend 
and handle your money the way you did? You'll give an answer. And I hope to get a well done, thou good and faithful servant. Response out of God. So, when you work for the kingdom first, God will bless you. When you tithe and when you put in the offering, God will bless you. Yes, he will. Um, you just can't outgive God. So you put him first and let God bless you as a result of it. Okay. All right. Did you know, did you know tonight that the Bible talks more about giving than it does either heaven or hell? Y'all know that? Did you know that over half of the parables Jesus told have to do with the subject of money? Did you know that there are more promises in the Bible related to giving financially than to any other subject? Did you know that your giving is very important to God and to your spiritual life? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, one translation said, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. A steward knows that... It is not my house. It's not my car. It's not my church. It's not my bank account. All these things belong entirely to God, but He has entrusted them to me to manage for the good of His kingdom. And best of all, when I am a good steward of my treasure, my giving becomes an investment for eternity. Again, Paul said in Timothy chapter 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, the Living Bible said, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. They will be storing up for themselves real treasure in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So if you have a job, the first 10% of what you earn at that job belongs to God, period. It's not yours. It belongs to Him. An offering is in addition to and above the 10% of tithe. So let's talk about tithing for a moment under the uh, banner of stewardship. First of all, the word tithe means a tenth part. The word tithe means a tenth. A tithe is giving 10% of my income. It is the first fruits. It is the first 10%. A lot of church folks develop a pattern or a discipline of when I get paid, I'll pay all the bills, buy the groceries, Set some money aside for date night. Set some money aside for the LSU football game. We'll set some money aside to go out of town. We'll set some money aside for our retirement. We'll set some money aside for Christmas. We'll give some money to our college fund for our kids. We'll give some money to our kids for allowance. And if we have any money left over. I know a lot of people that only pay a part of a tithe. They don't pay the full 10%. Because that's all you can afford. Well... That's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> the first 10% of your increase, that's not after taxes. And let me tell you something else about tithing. If you, if you look for a loophole or a shortcut, you're defeating the purpose. 
we should want to give 10%. As a matter of fact, if you can afford 11, go ahead and do that. So why did God have to require 10% of my income? You ought to feel blessed. He could have required 20. Don't whine. Could have been worse. But I found through the years that it's an honor to give to the kingdom. It's a privilege to give to the kingdom. Sister Murph and I have tithed all of our lives. And I've never done without. God's always provided and we've been through some very difficult times. I have lived in a place where I went to bed at night without milk in the refrigerator for my children. But the next day somebody showed up at my house with a gallon of milk and a carload of other stuff. God knows how to take care of his people. David said, I was, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. So an, a, a tithe is giving 10% of your income, the first 10%. And I will tell you tonight, you're a whole lot better off living on the 90 that God has blessed than the 100% that God doesn't bless. Keep that in mind. And uh, if you're not paying your tithes, you're shooting yourself in the foot. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying. So let me give you some reasons why you should tithe. Let me give you seven biblical reasons why tithing is a commandment. Number one, because God commanded it. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, a tenth of all you produce is God's. A tenth of all you produce belongs to God. It's not yours. A tenth of it is not yours. When, when you put a tithing envelope in the offering plate or you pay it online, you're not giving God anything. You're only returning to Him what belongs to Him anyway. Now, if you give an offering beyond that, now you're giving to God. You have to go 10% before you start giving. Uh, we need to understand that. And people say, well, Pastor, the scripture you just read is, is an Old Testament scripture in Leviticus, and the New Testament don't deal with it too much. I just gave you a biblical illustration that Jesus talked more about money than He did anything else. He talked more about it than heaven and hell for that matter. In his, over half of his parables, he talked about money. So it's, it's apparently important, uh, an important subject. But I can also prove to you that the Old Testament is just as much a part of our Bible as the New Testament is. Maybe we'll do that Bible study one night. Number two, tithing shows that God has first place in your life. You can say whatever you want to say. Brother Tenney used to say all the time when he was district superintendent to pastors, that everybody can give their heart to God, but it's something else to give your pocketbook to God. I'll give my heart to Him, but I'm not going to give my money to Him. And uh, I think that shows where our priorities are. But tithing shows that God has first place in my life. The Bible said in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. That's Bible. That's what tithing does. If you're not tithing, then perhaps God's not first place in your life. You might want to think about that. Number three, tithing reminds me that all I have is from God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says, Always remember that it is God, your God, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And that's what I was trying to say a little while ago. God gives you everything you are about who you are, what you are, and what you can do and what you can't do. We need to be thankful for that. Yes, we do. Number four, tithing expresses my gratitude for what I have been given. 
The Bible said in Psalm 116, verse 12, How can I repay God for all his goodness to me? Deuteronomy 16 says, Each of you should bring a gift in proportion to the way God, your God, has blessed you. Number five, refusing to tithe is actually like stealing from God. You're robbing God because you're not giving Him what is His. He wants it. He's asked you to do it. He's commanded that you do it, but you don't want to do it. So you're stealing. In Malachi chapter 3, God says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, How do we rob you? God says, In tithes and offerings, bring your whole tithe to my house. Number six, tithing gives God an opportunity to bless you. Again, Malachi chapter 3, bring your whole tithe to my storehouse. Test me in this, says God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will be protected from plagues. You know, I've, I've said this on several times when I would teach on tithing. And I think people are, you, you've heard it enough if you've been here long enough, that you, you, you understand it, and, and some of us have experienced it. When you don't pay your tithes over a given period of time, something major happens, man. You've got to go to the dentist, you've got to go to the doctor, your washing machine breaks, your dryer breaks, transmission on your car goes out. I just don't think all of that's real coincidental. And I'm not saying that God is judgmental either. But I do believe God has ways of waking us up to the idea of tithing appropriately, biblically, and so on. And um, if you don't, God's going to see to it that you don't keep that money either. He may not get it, but you're not going to keep it. Might be the reason why we're in debt up to here is we never have enough money and we live on charge cards. Am I getting a little too close to home now? Does anybody want me to move on here? Got them charge cards maxed out and you keep calling them and say, I can't make the payment next month, but I promise you in July I'll be there and you call them in July and I'll have it to you in September and da-da-da and you just keep juggling money and wondering why in the world you make good money and why can't it make end? Are you paying your tithes? And are you paying your tithes with a good attitude? So only in tithing, only in your tithing does God say, test me. Let me bless you and let me prove myself to you. And I find it interesting that God chose this one medium. It's not necessarily in how much faith you have. As if there was some meter that we could measure it, it's not how obedient you are if we had some meter to measure that. It's, not, it's none of that. And just this one thing called tithing. You know why? It's because God knows how hard it is to part with a dollar. And where we misunderstand on tithing is, you know, it, it, people make decent money nowadays. I'm not stupid. I'm not naive. I'm not saying anybody's a millionaire, but... I mean, people make decent money, so, I mean, if you make $5,000 a month, well, that's 500 bucks written right off the top that goes to Jesus. It is right, but that's not how we look at it. And you sit there and you look at that check, or right before you hit the enter button on the website, somebody called in a panic 
called Sister Murphy in a panic several weeks ago. We got a big kick out of it, so did they. I think they're here. I thought I saw them walk in a few minutes ago. Anyway, they hit one too many zeros. So they tithed their whole check. I told Sister Murphy, tell them, just tell the person, we can't reverse that. <clears throat> Somebody else called, and they're here tonight as well, but said, I hit a button somewhere. I've never been to the easy tithe thing. I, I don't even know how it works. But not that I don't pay tithes. Sister Murphy handles all that. Thank you very much. Anyway, um, but somebody called and said, uh, somehow I, I wanted to be a one-time payment, and it hit her thing that I'll do it every week. Tell them. We can't fix it. You just have to come up with it every week. <laughs> and so it was all in jest, and, of course, it was taken care of. But it's, you sit there and you look at that and you say, you know what? Look what I could do with this money. Boy, Macy's, Dillard's, tires on the car, a new lawnmower, a new weed eater, a new this, a new that. Look what I could do with this money. And this is where, this is where your, your thinking gets real faulty when it comes to tithing. And Brother Murphy don't need it. Well, first of all, how do you know that? Do you have a CIA agent somewhere that's got my bank account tapped or something like that? What you understand, have to understand about tithing, is yes, the tithing does support the ministry. But we, 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 we this church couldn't operate unless tithing paid a whole lot of other stuff as well. The offerings don't do it. Anyway, we're cool with that and whatever. But what you have to understand is the, the obeying the commandment to tithe is once that envelope hits that offering plate, the offering receptacle, your duty's done. You did what God asked you to do. And if I took that money and went and bought NASA, God will deal with it. If I spend that money inappropriately and I'm out buying a, a yacht somewhere and they've turned the church lights out, God will take care of that with me. You don't ever punish the church or the pastor because you have a grudge and you're going to stop giving. You don't ever, don't, don't be a dumb dumb and do that. You're shooting yourself in the foot. You're, you're taking away an avenue through which God can bless. I love to share this testimony of a lady here at Grace has been here for a long, long time. She stood in the center all the way of the Baker Church, tears streaming down her face, destitute. Her husband had been in an accident, couldn't work. She was working all she could. Bills was piling up. They had no money. As a matter of fact, our church went to Winn-Dixie and bought $500 worth of gift cards and brought them to them for groceries. And she asked me one time, when is God going to bless me for paying tithes? If I could ask, and, and she has family here tonight, but I feel like they would say assuredly that it has come to pass, that God has blessed. God has blessed and has taken care of that family. So I want to encourage you tonight. Our young folks, don't look at that check and, and, and say, I'm not going to give it this week because I can't afford it. You can't afford not to.
and you cut yourself off from a blessing from God that don't come any other way. God don't have another avenue of a vehicle to bless you. So if you're not tithing, you need to tithe. I'm on a salary, so it's not going to increase my income. So get that out of your head. Brother Murphy's been paid a salary for years, and uh, it don't fluctuate. As a matter of fact, we've reduced it on a few occasions, but it's, it has stayed the same for quite a few years. And uh, so it don't go up and down with giving. We just look at, at, at abundance and giving, and we I'm so thankful Last year, our church gave 12% of its total budget, of our total operation, operating budget to, to missions last year. And I'm thankful for that. We're gunning for 15 this year. So when there's extra monies, we try to do things with it that's profitable. Um, Sister Gil Larson uh, spoke at Ladies' Conference. A lot of you ladies will remember her. She was a speaker that uh, uh, Fred Rico received the baptism of the Holy Ghost under. And uh, she was at our, in our home last Thursday, was with us all day. And uh, her son is going uh, on a missions trip, and we were happy to give him $500 towards that trip. That's the kind of things we can do when there's an abundance of funds and what have you. So that just gives you a little example. So don't feel like I'm up here batting my cause. I'm on a salary, and God takes care of us. Uh, oftentimes people will, will threaten me with, with tithing, I've had people do that. Numerous people have done it through the years. That doesn't move me. God is my provider, and he'll take care of me. So um, so you, this is something you want to be a good steward with. It's a part of stewardship, and it's paying your tithes consistently. Um, and then number seven, and then conclusion. Jesus, or, or excuse me, tithing proves that I really love God. Shows that God's first in your life. Number And my last point is tithing proves that you really love God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it's, it's, it's a physical affirmation. It's a literal affirmation. Again, words are cheap. You can say whatever you want to say. And I hear people say often, you just don't know how much I love Jesus. And I want to say, when are you going to start tithing? Uh, Jesus said, if you love him, you'd keep his commandments. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to be leaders also in the spirit of cheerful giving. This is one way to prove that your love is real and that it goes beyond mere words. So notice the screen tonight. God wants me to be a good steward of all my treasure. That means I need to tithe first, give offerings second, save money third, and then enjoy the rest in a way that honors God. So if there's one simple statement I could make that would sum up this Bible study, that's it. Or this part of this Bible study. God wants me to be a good steward of all my treasure. That means I need to tithe first, Give offerings second, save third, and then enjoy the rest in a way that honors God. I want to conclude tonight, and if you'll stand with me, I remember when Sister Murph and I were in the process of falling in love.
You do know when you fall in love that sometimes that hurts. Falling hurts. I just thought that was a cute pun that I just would throw in there for good measure. It has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. Anyway, our pastor, as he did every year, would have that foreign missions conference. Some of you will remember that. And they'd bring these guys up to the pulpit, and man, they could just pour it on. And you're like, here, take my wallet, my shirt, here's my shoes, my socks, take everything I've got. And we'd come down to the altar and weep and cry and weep and cry. And we were actually in the infantile stages of talking about getting married. We had already talked about how much she made and how much I made. And <laughs> that was funny. I'll tell you, tell you how much. I made $620 a month when we got married, and she made about $550 a month when we got married. <clears throat> and uh, actually, we did pretty well, Brother Steve. We had money left over all the time. We'd go out to eat, and where it came to a screeching halt is when our first child was born, and I wanted to be a hero and wanted her to be a stay-at-home mom. That's when we went to bed without milk in the refrigerator and what have you. But we did it anyway. Well, we were talking about getting married, and funds was tight, and we found a, the cheapest apartment we could find, and doing all of that, just figuring out budgets and finances and all that kind of stuff. We weren't even engaged yet, but we were heading in that direction. And she tells me after church that Sunday night that she's made a faith promise commitment to pay to foreign missions of $75 a month. And back then... I mean, we was only making 1100 bucks a month, man. 75 a month is a, a pretty good chunk in addition to tithing, in addition to offering. And she made that commitment for one year, and I didn't think that year would ever pass. Oh, dear God, will this woman ever pay out this faith promise pledge? Well, we finally got to the end of the year, and she said, you know what? She said, and by now, we, we, I think we were married maybe at that time or close to it. She said, God has been so good to us. We both have nice cars, and we've gotten raises at work. She said, I'm going to extend it another year, and I'm going to up it $15. And I thought, dear God in heaven, we'll never make it because of that one faith promise pledge. But we did it, and God blessed, and we've, we didn't suffer. We didn't suffer. Uh, God took care of us. I want to tell you folks tonight, and you all know it, but I just want to remind you of it, that you will never, ever, ever outgive God. Now, he may not always bless you with money. But think about the last time you've been to the doctor and how bad it was. Think about your job and how long you've had it, especially with our country going through several years ago a time of horrible economic recession, almost depression, when eight, some 8-plus eight percent people were without a job and you had one. Uh, think about the way God has taken care of your kids and your family. And you could go right down the line. There's a joy in giving, and there's a blessing in giving, and don't ever forget it. So God bless you. Be a good steward with your money. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this time in your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak to Grace Church tonight, that where we may feel like we are a good steward, that you can even make us a better steward to keep our attitude right first and foremost. If our attitude's right, then everything else comes so much easier. I pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around this church and draw it close into your bosom. Love this church. Love our families. Love every person here. 
Bless this church. Bless its families. Bless those that contribute to your kingdom on a consistent basis. God, I pray that they're blessed. Your word promised they would be. I pray that you would open the windows of heaven and bless all of our church families. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. All right, listen carefully. Last Wednesday night, I held you all 15 minutes over. So tonight, I dismissed you 10 minutes early. So I owe you five more minutes, and we'll keep making it. We'll keep working on it. So go Q8, somebody.